0: Instructors and NAFI members, John Meehouse, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors, welcoming you back to another episode of the NAFI More Right Rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And I just want to do a quick reminder: if you didn't know already, that uh, listeners to this podcast actually get a discount to a NAFI membership, both joins and renewals. If you use the code POD forty nine, Papa Oscar Delta forty nine, you can get ten bucks off your membership. We appreciate you listening. We hope you have subscribed to the podcast. Maybe tell your friends. We'd love to uh, get a little bit more uh, listenership if we could, Um, but uh, every little bit helps, so thank you for that. And today, I'm very grateful for our guest uh, here at the podcast, and it is Jeff Jorgensen. Now, Jeff is the founder of Open Air Flight Club, and uh, he... Open Air Flight Club is also a book by the same name, and it's award-winning. It won the 2019 Minnesota Aviation Hall of Fame Award. He's been a CFI since 2009 and uh, considers himself an aviation ambassador, which is what Open Air Flight Club is all about. Now, if you want more information on this, uh, we'll put the link to his website in the podcast notes. Um, go take a look at it. Uh, it is all about an introduction to aviation and uh, aviation facts and things like that. So I'm sure you would appreciate you take a look at that. Jeff, welcome.
1: Hi. hey John. How are you doing? Today, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what happens after a crash, right? So you guys did a... Uh, and I was inspired by a video you guys did a little while back where you talked about, you know, how to crash an airplane. And I thought yeah. that was really cool. And uh, I really liked that, and uh, it it kind of piqued my interest because I had spoke to this back in uh, April seventeenth of 2017 i uh, am a survivor of a gyroplane crash and um, so what happens after that was you know as a flight instructor going through that experience, the aftermath was something that you know i I taught all about the NTSB and the you know the nasa form and uh but when you're actually experiencing it, it was much different and but uh, then uh i expected i guess
0: the um the metro live that you're referencing was one back in november of 23 um, and that's how long we've been talking about this. I'm sorry it took so long to get you on the show. Um, but I think it's a, it's a credible, uh, topic because I mean, we've got a couple things that happen here. Um, you know, the first is like you said, we, we sort of have this rope memorization of, of, well, what are we supposed to do? But just like anything else bad, I mean, we all sort of think ah, it's not going to happen to me. It's going to happen to the next guy. I don't need to know this kind of like light gun signals right like you know you just you you know them for the test and then you're just like nah, it's never gonna happen um and so you know to have an experience like you did i mean that's nobody can really truly be prepared for that right
1: correct and so yeah so prep preparedness looks different in in the real world than it does when you're teaching it yeah yeah so let's
0: get into the story tell me what happened
1: so um I was I was in a fixed wing. Uh, I was on a fixed wing mission. I was flying a 172 with a cinematographer, and we were uh, we had a route that we had planned through central Iowa. We were filming some aftermath of uh, tornadoes that had gone through central Iowa around that time, and um, some other storm damage and that sort of thing. And we stopped in Knoxville, Iowa. Uh, just for you know lunch and to take a break and that sort of thing and when we were there the owner of this gyroplane i'd known him for quite some time they built this beautiful xenon gyrocopter uh, or gyroplane and um, just a gorgeous machine and he'd been flying around he'd flown over 200 hours you know you gotta have your initial 40 and then he's flown over 200 hours in this thing by this point and he had just landed with his son. His son got out, went into the bathroom and was going to go home or whatever. And he's like, hey, you want to go for a ride? I said, man, I'd love to, but I've got the cinematography. Here. We're on this photography mission. I can't really uh, this time, but I'll take a rain check. And my, my cinematographer, he heard this. He's like, no, go do it. We'll film it. I'm like, oh, cool. So I'm all in. So I get a ride for the first time in my life in a gyrocopter. It, and so the first of all, the thing I get in, you know, he starts it up and we're taxing, he's going through his checklist and the th- I can see everywhere. There's windows on top. There's windows on the floor, both sides, the, the windscreen, you know, I can see in every direction. The view was amazing. It was like almost being like in a glass bubble. It was incredible. And, you know, so then there's a, like a two minute spool up time to get the rotors up to speed um, for you to take off. And then we do our takeoff roll and we're taking off and I can, I'm filming the thing and I'm having a blast. Uh, and it, we, we heard a noise. We get up to about 500 feet and we heard a noise and it, it sounds different. I can't, I can't really describe it differently. You know, it just sounded different. And he looked at me and he goes, we're losing power. And I thought, well, that's not good. <laughs> no. um, and so, and then it, I, it dawned on me, I don't know anything about a gyrocopter, right? I'm sitting, you know, I'm a flight instructor, but all the gauges are different. All the speeds are different. All the instrumentation, you know, and I don't, I don't know anything about what's going on here. I'm like, well, we're over some pretty flat land. We're, we're still over the runway, right? So, I mean, I'm not terrified yet but all I start, you know, your, your brain goes into fast forward, you know, fight or flight mode. And so I'm, I'm in fast forward thinking about all the what ifs and I got to pick up my daughter from school three o'clock and, you know, it's lunchtime now, but I I got plenty of time, but then what happens if we crash and I don't make that. And I just, all these things are going on. And then, um, you know, we're the, the, we're starting to fall and it's accelerating. Like we're falling faster than we should be. And I'm like, so I turned off my phone. I wish I'd have kept recording because that would have been really neat to have that video, but I'm glad I didn't because I needed to be hands-on in the situation, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we're coming down and uh, I, I'm pointing out there's a field to our right. And I'm like, okay, we, if we could try to hit that field, it's a flat field. There's, you know, I mean, we'll be good. And he's like, I don't think I have enough airspeed to maneuver. So we kind of forced the nose over. similar to an airplane i think in that you know it can stall so he pushed the nose over we start falling a little faster but we're speeding up a little bit and he starts gaining a little bit of controllability but not enough and right directly in front of us are power lines, and that wasn't that warm fuzzy feeling that i want you know i can see everything i didn't want to block that i didn't want to see that anymore yeah and i'm so i'm coming down i'm thinking you know I don't know what happens when an aircraft hits power lines. I've heard about it, you know, uh, crop dusters, and that sort of thing doing it, but I don't, I don't know what happens to a pilot. You, so, uh, well, I'm about to find out. Turns out when you go through power lines, nothing happens to the pilot. I didn't feel a thing, right? Um, Knock on wood. Uh, so uh, we broke the power line and uh, came down and we had a pretty forced landing in the ditch. And rolled, and then the rotors were going around, so they hit, and then we kind of roll over on the uh, pilot side, and so um, no, I'm sorry, we rolled over onto my side. I was on the passenger side, and so he's hanging above me, and I smell fuel. So we're you know we're leaking fuel. We we had quite a bit of fuel, so we're leaking fuel, and then I smell smoke, and um that wasn't that again warm fuzzy feeling right so that wasn't it right. so i'm like okay so now i'm doing a self-assessment we came down pretty hard so i'm like okay am i okay is anything broken am i bleeding anywhere anything like that and i'm like okay i think i'm okay and adrenaline's going he's like i can't get out of my seatbelt well he's hanging on it so i lifted him up and he undid his seatbelt and then he got of came down on top of me and then he stood up and got his door open and then he got out and I said, wait, I have some EMG training from, you know, the past. And I know if there are down power lines, you don't want to jump close to the end of that. Cause they have like a 10 foot radius that they can still jack you. So the power lines were kind of over away from it. They were maybe 20 feet uh, to, I'll just say to a left. And uh, so he kind of, jumped off into the grass away from that and climbed up the hill and uh, up onto a gravel road. Then, so we were in a ditch between the power lines and the gravel road. And uh, so I stood up and kind of did the same assessment and got out and I climbed out and went over there. And um, later I found out two people helped us open the door and pull us out. And I don't remember that. I don't remember seeing them. I had no idea that there were two people there that had seen the crash and helped us out. And I don't remember any of that at all. Wow. It's just amazing how your brain reacts in that sort of moment and uh, the, the things that we remember. But there's pictures of us standing with the people and that they were there. So, uh, but it, I have no recollection of And, you know, was that maybe a head concussion or something? I was pretty sure that I was okay. And that's something I want to talk about here is, um, you know, what happens after the crash. So any, any questions for me as far as the event and what happened at this point?
0: You know, it's interesting because, um, and I don't want to get into this because it's a whole different topic, but, you know, we as instructors always teach, you know, engine failure on takeoff and stuff like that. And, and you know, there's the whole impossible turn conversation and everything else. But one of the things that that I always stressed with my students and I think most do is that, you know, your brain goes into a certain amount of denial at first. Right. Oh, this isn't happening. It's everything's fine. And I, and then, right. Right. And then you get into this, okay, it's not fine. And then like you said, you start talking, thinking about, okay, well, what is, what happens to my daughter? What happens to this? What happens to that? And yeah. all of that is critical time, you know? And so for everyone who you know thinks that like oh there's you know chuck yeager could do it why can't i do it and i'm not saying people can or can't because again i don't want to get into the impossible turn discussion but and, yeah. you've got to remember how much is wasted in your brain just realizing and catching up to the fact that something bad's about to happen
1: uh i you know and you're absolutely right and one of the things also uh, you talk about being a cfi and teaching you know uh, accident procedures if you will or you know forced landing procedures I teach my students routinely all the time. Okay, crack a door open before yep. you're left in case he gets jammed shut. But do you think I did that? Nope, I didn't. And in our case, we rolled over onto my side. Even if I had, I still wouldn't have been able to get out of it. But it's one of the things that I thought about afterwards. It's like, I never did that. I teach it all the time, but I had so many things, never even thought about it. Never did huh. it. Never crossed my mind. And it was it was like one of those... Like disappointing and a little revelational. It's like, maybe I don't stress that enough. Maybe I should incorporate that a little differently, but also, is it that important? I don't know. Um, And uh, just little stuff like that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So many things go through your mind. All the things that are going to happen or the consequences of having an accident and all the things that's going to cost it just cascades. Right. At least for me it cascaded all the way down. Like my the whole rest of my day literally flashed before my eyes. And I was trying to figure all kinds of problems out yeah. that this would create. And I wasn't solving the problem at hand that I am inevitably, literally in the middle of getting ready to crash in a gyroplane. Yeah. And, uh, and it may have been a little different for me too, because I wasn't the pilot. I was merely a passenger. Yeah. So you
0: were along for the ride.
1: Sure that I make that, you know, clear and him and i were very clear on that too that when that i'd never been in a driver blame before and he was really excited to be given a cfi a ride and he's something he'd never flown right so we were very very clear on that uh when we started right so there was no misperception that i was i was doing a poor job as a cfi because i wasn't handling it i i he knew i knew nothing right
0: yeah I think that's an important distinction to make because there's a lot of assumptions that people make when there is a CFI on board. And I believe that's part of what you're gonna reference as well as we Yeah, uh, you and I have
1: talked about that quite a bit. So thanks for the lead.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So why don't you continue? So what happened so two people helped you out, uh, which you don't remember, and at least you had enough sort of forethought to consider the power lines, because that would be an easy thing to forget in the heat of the moment. Um, how close were the power lines actually to you guys?
1: Um so we came through the blades hit the and broke the power line, so not the actual aircraft itself. And the one line fell down and it was kind of by the pole, which is probably, I don't know, 25, 30 feet from us on one side. And the okay. other one was probably about 20 feet from us on the other side. So when it, you know, they're taut. So when they broke, they kind of, you know, they recoil back. Yeah. They were quite a ways from us. I don't know that it always happens that way. Oh, sure. Um, I don't go through power lines very often. First time, hopefully I don't right. get it. Uh, but that was our experience from that. Sure. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking at some quick notes here. Uh, you know, crack the door is best place to land, uh, shut off the fuel before you come down. Yeah. We didn't do any of that, but after we smelled fuel and then smelled smoke, we shut off the engine, we shut off the fuel and, uh, you know, and then when we were egressing. So we did do that before we egressed the aircraft. Uh, some statistics, so I did some research after this, uh, and I don't think it's changed significantly, but at the time in 2017, uh, from the NTSB reports, causes of crashes are 26% mechanical failure, 64% human error, and 10% other factors like, you know, deer hitting a deer on a runway or birds and that sort of stuff. And so I thought that was really interesting that, that 64% of the of uh, aircraft accidents are human error. Right. And that includes weather, just um, in that disclosure. But only 26% are mechanical failures. So we plan for a lot of mechanical failure scenarios, but it's only a quarter of the time, right? And so it's just something to be aware of. So then what happens after the crash? So we, we've exited the aircraft now. We're standing on the road. And there's two people there that have pulled us out. And the police car comes roll like screaming down this gravel road and like pulls up and like slides in the gravel, you know, and uh comes out. And he's like, Okay, uh, are you guys okay? And I'm like, Yeah, is there anybody else in the aircraft? No. And so um, they get out and they're kind of assessing, they're like, Okay, the ambulance on the way, they're right behind me. And um, uh, <clears throat> so he's looking around, he goes, so is this still the airport?
0: Oh, jeez.
1: And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I, I'm pretty sure we've made it off airport grounds now. And we're next to a road. So this is probably because the utility lines, a public, um, public right-of-way yeah, or like or is that sort of thing next to a road. And so he's like, I don't have any idea who has jurisdiction over an aircraft accident Uh, and I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know that it's illegal to crash an airplane. So i (laughs) I don't don't know what kind of jurisdiction you need. Um, but uh, the number one term that I heard, he goes, "Do I need to call the FFA?" And I said, "No, we didn't hit any animals on our way down." So, (laughs) on adrenaline i do a lot of dad jokes and um uh you know humor so i I learned the same thing yeah (laughs) um but i don't know if that works in my favor but um so then so then the ambulance shows up and and the fire and the fire so i don't remember which order now because it all happened so fast but the ambulance and the fire truck showed up virtually at the same time i don't remember which one was first or not the fire truck pulls up and they've got a bunch of guys bailing out and put donning all their stuff in there they can't put out the fire yet until the utility company which they were waiting on shuts off the electricity first because they don't want to get electrocuted right watching this thing burn and they're kind of you know all geared up and ready for it but they're waiting for the all clear before they can do anything uh i thought that was interesting i never thought about that either And so the the police officers asked me all kinds of questions. Who do you call? And I'm like, okay, well, there's the NTSB. If there's an accident, we need to call them. I have the the number to the local FAA, the FISDO. Uh, And this was a weekday is around around lunchtime. So we called the FISDO and, you know, informed them, let them know. And they, um, I had in the phone. So he talked to them for the most part. And I know he got some direction from them and what he was going to do. but then. Uh, the pilot, a uh, real good friend of mine, I'm not going to use his name because I didn't contact him to ask permission um, ahead of time. So I apologize for that. But No, that's okay. So he called his insurance company. He's like, so I was just in an accident. Like, what do I need to do? And so he's talking to his insurance company. And then I get a phone call. It was my publisher. So I had literally just published the book. And it was getting ready to launch that day. <laughs> wow.
0: That and day?
1: So my publisher calls me and he says, hey, well, can I, give you got a few minutes? I said, "I, you know, I really don't. Um, I I just crashed in a gyroplane. Can I give you a call back a little later? He's like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, 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 I'll call me back later. And, and then, uh, so anyway, so then. <laughs> Well, so hey,
0: hey, a second! I got a, a, a semi-serious but mostly joking question. Does surviving an airplane crash sell more books, or? Le- I, I mean, <laughs> so, did they? Was it a? Did they use it for any kind of uh, publicity? Uh, at the uh, end of the day,
1: I'll get to that in a minute. But yes, that's okay. a great question, and uh, it definitely played a role. Interesting. Uh, so then, you know, we're talking about insurance claims, legalities. Um, So an important notice, after the crash, right, get a notebook, uh, text yourself on your phone, find someone to take some notes, find out what the weather conditions are, what the temperature is, whether it's sunny, partly cloudy, all this kind of stuff, because you're not going to get the NTS paperwork for a couple of weeks, and... Um, you know, once they've done their preliminary, then they give you a bunch of paperwork to fill out. And they ask all this information about what was the wind speed and direction? What was the temperature outside? Well, you know, was it cloudy or partly cloudy? And um, we, I mean, we literally had to go back and look it up. We didn't remember any of that. Right, yeah. So if, if you're ever in an aircraft accident, write down as many details about the weather and your flight planning and all this, because it's going to play a role in the paperwork later. So then we're going through this. And the utility company shows up and they they uh, shut off the power, made sure that was all secure, and went and tested it. And then the the fire department then they put out the fire. And the ambulance comes up to the ambulance uh, people. Then uh, they had the gurney out and they wheeled it over to me. And I'm standing there talking to the officer and a bunch of other people, all this going on. They said, "Hey, you know, sit down on this." So I sit down, and they said, "Okay." Uh, we need you to, we, you know, we want you to go to the hospital with us. And I go, you know, I, I think I'm fine. And I got to go get my daughter at three. Right. So that's probably at one o'clock. And, uh, and, they're like, well, we, you know, we strongly urge you to go to the hospital. And I'm like, I've done kind of a self-assessment. I think I'm okay. Um, and uh, you know, I'm not bleeding. Nothing's broken, my back feels fine. Now am I hopped up on adrenaline? Could I possibly hurt? I don't think so, but I think that's always a possibility, right? How much don't you know, because you're on adrenaline, you think you're okay, but maybe you're not, maybe your mind is masking all that at the moment.
0: Right. And Internal bleeding or something. They,
1: had a form, they said, we need you to sign this. And it's big bold letters of the cross that says refusal of care form. So I'm like, well, what does that mean if I refuse care? Like what kind of, like, does that mean that it's not covered under my insurance if I find out I'm hurt and I go and see him later? Like, what are the implications of that? And it's, from what I can tell, and maybe every state's different, I don't even know, but the laws in Iowa is they are protecting themselves so that I can't come back on them later and say, I wanted them to take me to the hospital, but they wouldn't do it. Right. They didn't- you know what I mean? They told me I was fine and they didn't take me. So they're just making sure that there's very clear communication that they made every effort to take me to the hospital and I refused them. So that's what that means. Uh, as far as, you know, if you're hurt and, it, you know, it's still covered. It's just, it's just a protection from there. The best I can tell, uh, from all the people I've talked to afterward about that, but mm-hmm. it was just really interesting. Um, and so you asked, and this I'm going to inter- ins- answer your question now. You asked about how well does an aircraft accident sell a book? So <laughs> remember, I had a cinematographer filming this. So my aircraft accident, that gyroplane accident, was already on social media at this point. He had wow. already uploaded the video to his uh, to the media, his media connections. And I was already on social media. I'm still on scene. I'm still signing refusal care forms. The firefighters are fighting the fire. And I'm on social media. And my mom calls me. Because the cinematographer is a friend of mine. So we have a lot of common Facebook, you know, friends. And my mom is one of them. (laughs) She called me. She's like, is that you on the news?
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I'm I'm kind of still here. Can I call you back? And so um, that was, I, I don't, rec- like, if you do have a cinematographer, I would have a clear expectation that if something does occur, that they delay that sometime, you know, 15, 20 minutes, half hour, an hour a week, something, um, so that it doesn't hit the media while you're still on scene in the middle of it.
0: right. Yeah,
1: just FYI. So uh, within the first 24 hours, I made the Associated Press. I was in, as far as I could tell, my video or the video of the accident was in uh, over 100 different news stories that day.
0: Now, out of curiosity, did you have any negative effects of that video going out before an NTSB assessment? Was there any, was there any pushback on why did this get out before we had a chance to look no. at the scene or any of that?
1: No. And, and, and there was, you know, first of all, there was no really foul play in the accident. Right. And, you know, um, but, and there were no legal charges or anything. So the, and the pilot, from what I can tell, pretty much did everything to the best of his ability. Sure. And, and you know, and handle it. So, yeah. So there was nothing. Could there be? Yeah. I mean, that's a consideration, right? When you, when you hit the news at that point, just assume everybody knows everything that got put out there. I wish I had tied the book to that media when he's uploaded that, like that, <laughs> been, uh, a right. Genius. move. You know, that would have been a marketing, uh, savior. For, or, I mean, that's probably not the right word, but Uh, It would have really intensified the marketing around the book being tied to that. Um, I did a lot of secondary marketing where I I actually spoke at Oshkosh because this April 17th, Oshkosh of 2017, I spoke at the NAFI tent. uh, And fortunately, it was right before uh, John and Martha King spoke. That's a tough spot. I would not have wanted to speak after them because that would have been horrible. Yeah. <laughs> amazing speakers and just so dynamic. They're great people. Um, and so, but I, and so this is the kind of the slideshow that ended there. So, you know, the, the ambulance shows up, the police shows up, the fire truck shows up, and they're all asking you questions. They're all doing things. And um,
0: so let's talk about the scene a little bit. So, so you've got. I'm assuming the the two people that helped you guys out are probably the ones that called the the 911 uh, would be my guess.
1: Um, I didn't. Or did make, they
0: just happen to see you?
1: So my my pilot called his insurance company. It was the first phone number that he called. I think one of the two guys that helped us out had called 911. Yeah. Or it may have been somebody at the airport or my cinematographer that had seen it uh, because they came down from the airport and uh, apparently they did like Dukes of Hazzard style launched over a hill and all four tires of the car wow. went out and they came over and they, they didn't care because they thought that they were going to be bring burn, uh, removing bodies out of a burning aircraft. Right? Yeah. Well, some,
0: I mean, you guys were lucky that they weren't.
1: Right. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: okay. So, um, so somehow nine one one gets called, which is good. Of course, the police ambulance fire all show up. Are you finding at this point that there's a crowd of people showing up or are you kind of in a remote enough area where it's just you and the emergency medical stuff?
1: Yeah, we were, we were not visible to most of the general public because we're kind of down in not really a ravine, but it's a low lying area next to a gravel road kind of behind the airport. So there wasn't a lot of public. There was a couple of farmers that drove up in their ATVs and a couple of guys in their pickups. They stayed a fair amount of difference. They were uh, there was one guy though. So then the news showed up, the actual local news showed up. Yeah, that was gonna
0: be my next question.
1: There was this I seen it guy, right? Who who he was a superhero that pulled us out and rescued us and saved our lives and all. Like he was telling a story, man. It was a whopper, and we were just like, whatever. We
0: <laughs> let him have it. He saved our lives. Sure.
1: Hey, yeah, we're, we're so thankful that he, you know, uh, later my friends were all telling us that they were never over near the aircraft at all. They were just handing up for the news. It was hilarious. <laughs> uh, and so, so some of the notes, like I said, uh, draw down pertinent information to the accident, right? V-speeds, what happened, noises, timing uh, of all, you know, not, not the engine timing, but the timing of events like how long before this happened and then this happened conversation notes that might be important between like the flight instructor. Like, I'm like, I don't, you know, you know what I mean? Like I was very clear. I do not have control of the aircraft. I don't know what's going on. This is on you, but let me know if I can do anything. He's like, I've got it. You know, we just got to, you know, find a place to land. We got to get this down. And um,
0: <clears throat> Was there any pushback from the feds on that at all? Like, did they, did they look at you and say, are you, you know, did they try to insinuate that you might've been the senior pilot on board or was it all pretty clear cut?
1: No, you know, the, the feds, I, I want to say that they were great. You know, I, I've always had the impression that the feds are out trying to take your license and, and really hose people over. And they, they really weren't, they were super great. And they, you know, they were like, are you guys okay? Can yeah. you tell us what happened? You know, we're going to do an investigation. If something happened, there may be consequences for that, but we're not here trying to hang somebody. We want to find out what happened to try to make things better. Right. And that, I really, I felt like they were very sincere with that. Um, you know, with that, it, it is intimidating because they're fed, they're in suits, you know, they and they did show up. The FAA was there. Um, How
0: long did it take the FA to show up?
1: So they're probably, they're in Ankeny from Knoxville. So I'm guessing it's probably 40 minutes. Wow. But, you know, keep in mind, they got called by the police officer within a minute after we were down. Right. Yeah. Kind of the first. So that was the first contact that I had. And that was the best knowledge. You know what I mean? I had so many things going on. And and uh, so the best knowledge that I had, I'm like, they would be the best resource for me to have him call and try to start sorting stuff out.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So they just they're like. Hey, man, we're going. So they, they, they beat feet, man. They came down. Um, and so my notes here is have uh, your photo ID, your driver's license, because everybody asked for that. I had to get all my information to the uh, ambulance driver and to the police officer. Uh, your pilot's license, they want all that information. Your medical. Uh, they wanted our logbook. Neither one of us had our logbooks with us um and so then you've got a period of time and i don't i don't want to say it because I, the rules sometimes change and i'm not well as well versed on that now as i was uh but you have some time to produce that um engine, so they
0: wanted your logbook even though you weren't technically flying
1: uh yeah wow and i don't know if that's just a because <laughs> it's on the form and so they just asked for it Uh, But they certainly wanted his, but they they wanted mine, too. And I'm like, well, I wasn't any part of that. And so uh, I I showed it to him, but they basically just looked and said, yeah, I am who I said I was. And they didn't keep it or really document anything by whatever. Okay. Uh, uh, But the engine and airframe logs, they were very, uh, because something happened in in the gyroplane and um, uh, it definitely lost power. And I know what happened, but I don't want to say it because I don't want to describe it incorrectly. And fair. people, you know what I mean, and, and get organizations all upset about, you know, I said this. <laughs> no, happened. That's OK.
0: All we need to know is that it it didn't it didn't keep flying. Right.
1: So what I can tell you is aircraft. Uh, so we got called. The manufacturer this is in Canada and they called us the next day, both of us. And they, they want to know, first of all, we were all right. And they basically wanted us to not talk to anybody. Uh, and they were doing their own investigation to find out what happened. And the engine manufacturer, they were kind of the same way. They're like, we don't want you talking to anybody and don't say anything. And so there's a lot of organizations that have, they're, they're protecting their interests, right? And so I, right. and I don't necessarily disagree with that. Because if you say, so, like I said, if I said something inaccurate, a lot of people see that and then it gets you know, the, the telephone game, then a bunch of inaccurate information gets out there and it's really hard to dispel those rumors and that sort of thing. So uh, just be careful. And then, you know, the Aero paperwork uh, was definitely, you know, they, the, the, uh, the FAA wanted to see all about paperwork and talk about all that and everything. And so we were all legal. So
0: how did the interaction, I mean, I know you said with the local news showing up that uh, they had a couple local celebrities, but, um did they how did that go um you know we did a professional development program course with a former board member um who used to be a police officer and he had you know police officers in the media they have they have their strong feelings and he's just like you don't talk to the media ever um for reasons i'm sure you can guess um I think that's sage advice. (laughs) Did you guys run into any issues with that or?
1: Oh, uh, let me, I'll finish up the story. I know we're running a little long here. Um, but so I've got to go get my daughter at three now and it's a little after two. So we had flown out of Oskaloosa, which is about a 15 minute flight from Knoxville, something like that. So I've got to fly back to Oskaloosa to get my car to go to Pella to get my daughter, which is, you know, a half hour. So I'm in that 45 minute window. So now I've got the get home. I I've got things to do.
0: And you've got you to know? climb into an airplane after having just survived.
1: So I walk over and I pre-flight the airplane and I can't tell you uh, how detailed my, <laughs> I can tell you how detailed my pre-flight was. I look at everything. Wow. You know, and so my my sentiment. i'm like you want to go with me he's like man there's no way i'm getting another airplane i'm like well the odds are in our favor there's the chance of me crashing two airplanes in the same day is virtually nil so (laughs) and the weather it was clearing a million out it was a really nice day so it weather was no factor in this whatsoever how are your nerves
0: climbing into an airplane though uh
1: and i i wasn't really nervous i you know i've got i had over a thousand hours i'm sure of instruction time and, and flight time and everything by that point um it wasn't a factor uh in that and i started it and i'm taxing and it's you know there's no activity at the airport now everything's kind of died down and uh everything you know down over at the bottom of the hill just off the airport grounds or where the accident was all the people are congregating there and there's a few people meandering around the airport just doing other stuff but so I get an airplane taxi. I'm pretty much the only one around taxiing out and I'm, and I'm taking off. And as soon as I plowed power to take off, that's when I started kind of feeling that, is this a good idea moment? You know what I mean? Yep. And I'm, Well, okay. So V1 rotate. And I mean, it's a 172, but it's still. <laughs> as I'm rotating, I'm like, okay we're taking off. Everything's great. You know, engine's making power. You know, I'm checking all the gauges. I got plenty of fuel. Uh, oil pressure is good. Oil temp's good. And we're, uh, flying out and I flew over the crash site. And that was a really surreal moment. It's like an outer body, like an out outer body experience. Right. So outside of my body, looking down on, the the, the the crash site yeah and it was really surreal I can't really describe that feeling but it was like I was looking at myself while I was down there in the crash and it was just a really uh, spiritual moment yeah if you, it was just a mind-blown kind of feeling and uh, there's still s- residual smoke coming off the ground the fire truck is still down there and it was just, you know, the utilities are there. The ambulance was pulling away. The police car had left now. And, uh, you know, there's people are kind of just starting to disperse. And it was just a really surreal moment. So so I fly the flight, a completely uneventful flight, landed in, in Oskaloosa. It was fine. I was the only one there. And I walked in. I walked in the FBO to give him the keys. And, I, and uh, he said, How was your flight?
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs>
1: And I'm like, you know, which one? I, <laughs> I'm gonna have to table this because I gotta get my daughter, but I'll let you know that we're okay and the airplane is fine. And uh, well the rest of it we'll talk about later. And he's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, go watch the news. And uh, so, yeah, I get in my van and go pick up my daughter. And while I'm driving to the school, the phone rings and they said, hey, this is. uh." uh KCCI we we saw your facebook uh post and saw you on social media and we want to come and interview you uh where's a good place to meet now I'm did like, you know you knew that
0: it was on social media at this point right
1: i did but okay. now it's like the mainstream news is calling me they have my phone number and they're calling me and they want to come and interview me i'm like where do we meet i'm like well i'm going to get my daughter and bring her i'm like Can we meet at your house? I'm like, yeah, I guess. Now, this is an important thing to note also. When you're flying, it's always a good idea to file a flight plan. And we had filed a flight plan. That wasn't a factor in this at all. But one thing was the cinematographer called me after my wife had gone to work that morning. And so she didn't have any idea that I was flying. (laughs) <laughs> and so she comes home from work and I'm sitting in the yard while KCCI is filming us. Oh my goodness. And, uh, she's like, what's going on? I'm like, uh, I, I was in a plane crash. And so they're in there. It, it was, it was comical and, you know, a little awkward. So yeah, <laughs> let your loved ones know and your family know if you get a flight that pops up or whatever goes somewhere send them a text uh it's just a courtesy and you'll thank me later
0: <laughs> good advice good advice
1: <laughs> so yeah so you can uh, and you can, i'll send you the link to it too but you can google red gyroplane knoxville uh iowa and i'm sure the video will still uh, at least some of the videos will still uh, populate wow. I the news, uh, from that. So, um, it was, it was quite an experience, but it, a lot goes on after that, that you just don't think about at the time.
0: Yeah. So one of the other details and, and, uh, I don't want to get into too much of it because I'm not an insurance salesman and I'm sure you're not either, but you know, how did the whole insurance thing work? Um, you know, cause I think one of the common misconceptions is that, the pilot's insurance is going to cover everything for anybody who's riding with them and stuff like that i mean certainly they're plan dependent but was there any insurance issues after the fact
1: Uh, all of my medical they they called and asked me if i was okay and they they encouraged me to go to a doctor and get checked out if it wasn't they were super great that's awesome Uh, i refused it i didn't go to the doctor even the next day i was i was still a little banged and bruised and stiff and sore or whatever but i was fine it's no worse than you know, roughhousing with the kids on a Saturday afternoon. Boy, you and, got lucky. Like uh, and I really, really, really truly blessed. And but the the insurance was, I, I think, pretty easy to work with. Now it was unfortunate. So the pilot and him and his brother built this thing uh, a couple of years prior, and they were grossly underinsured. Oh because no. They, you know, when they built it and stuff, it was, they saved a fair amount of money on their monthly premium. So they decided to go to that smaller amount because they're like, well, you know, if we ding a wing or a propeller blade or something happens, you know, landing gear, you know, we'll, we'll have plenty of money to repair the damage. Um, they never thought about a total airframe, you know, uh, failure or an accident that totaled the airframe.
0: So, um- any other repercussions of the event anything else that uh, that you can remember from any of the agencies or media outlets or any of that kind of stuff was there were the the um comments on social media relatively kind or
1: yeah oh i wanted to get back to the media a little bit your your uh, police officer friend that was was saying don't talk to the media ever so th- so they interviewed me and they asked all kinds of questions everything filmed. Right. So yep. they probably interviewed me for 40 minutes. There's about 40 minutes that we talked, and it, it turned into like a two minute clip. Right. So yeah. they, they condensed 40 minutes of information into uh, that two minutes. But then they narrated most of it. Right. It wasn't even me speaking. They narrated. So I told them that I was a pilot. And then later we talked about I was retired from the International Guard. And so that got condensed into I was an Air National Guard pilot, which was not true. <laughs> and um, uh, there was a f- couple of other inaccuracies. I can't remember off the top of my head now. But so what they reported and how they said it sounded very different than what actually occurred.
0: Right. Yeah. So
1: the And, and I don't think it's intentional. You, know, you hear the fake news and fake media and all this stuff. Sometimes it's intentional and there's an agenda behind it or whatever, especially when you get into politics and who pays to play for what or whatever. But I think a lot of times the media is just, they're really busy. They're, they're taking 40 minutes of material and they've got a whole team of people that are trying to condense that in a two minute video before it hits the next slot in an hour. And so I really think it's just trying to do the best they can at the pace that they have to operate with what they have to work with. And then disseminating that out, and then moving on. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it's just an unfortunate uh, part of the trade.
0: Well, I mean, the the story that you told is is harrowing. I mean, it's it's something that doesn't happen to everybody, thankfully. Um, and uh, you know, of course, walking away from it is is amazing. Um, and I, I certainly appreciate you sharing it because, like I said at the beginning, these are things that that people put away from their mind because it's not going to happen to me. And, you know, I'm not going to need to know this because I'm going to be okay. It's going to be everyone else. Um, and I, I think you, you're proof that uh, you know, it's, it's best to refresh your memory on, on what to do in the event of an emergency of this sort, especially if you're a regular flyer.
1: Yeah. And, and as a CFI, right. So because you're naffy, uh, I, I am quite well known to pull engines, fairly regularly. And I try to do it, you know, in a safe, responsible manner. Sure, but I, I definitely want to make that impression and I do it. I don't, uh, uh, I don't forewarn my students that I'm going to do it. Right? I want it to be as much of a surprise as I can. One yep. other point that I want to point, one other thing that I want to point out though, uh, and th- maybe this is a little off topic, but it's CFI related. So I learned through uh, this and some other events that have occurred, that when I go through with students and have them touch the controls, right. So pull, you know, so engine failure, you know, you go through the procedures or whatever and they touch the controls and I'll turn the lights on and, you know, they go through their, you know, the BC gumps or whatever, and they're going through their pre-landing stuff and they touch the controls Um, physically have them do something, especially when they like lights and they'll say they'll point at the lights. And I said, Nope, pull them on. Because I found uh, when I had another, um, engine failure with a student and this was not a planned engine failure this was a uh, we had forgotten to switch the tanks uh, i was on a hyper and so the engine failed and they went were going through the men- mental checklist and stuff but they were just pointing at the stuff they weren't actually checking it doing it right so they had been taught inadvertently to just touch the things or to verbalize it but not actually do the things yeah. And so it's important to actually do the things because that's what you do in the, in the emergency is what you train. Yeah. And that's a really important distinction that really kind of surprised me when I saw that. And so it changed a lot. And this has been quite a few years ago, but it's changed a lot about how I teach uh, in, in the aircraft. So uh, I do want to cover that as well.
0: Yeah, the human brain is an interesting thing.
1: Indeed. <laughs> Well, Jeff, I
0: appreciate you coming on today. Um, and, you know, one of the things I want to give you a moment here to talk about uh, Open Air Flight Club. I don't feel like I did it as as much justice as I should have. Can you uh, give me a, a better description and and maybe a quick plug for it?
1: Yeah, so OpenAirFlightClub.com. It's a um, – so my history was – you know, solving the, the problem that, you know, started way back in the early 2000s is how do we get youth involved in, air, you know, in aviation? And with the aging baby boomer population, you know, how do we mentor the younger generation and, and, uh, and talk about that? So um, I started speaking at my kids' schools when they were really young and talking to teachers. And sometimes parents would approach me, how do I, how do I get to be a pilot? And it, it was just, I dubbed it the two hour conversation. All these, you know, those questions just snowball when you answer one, and they're like, they think about something, and then they start going from there. And so the book is really centered around uh, the, the 20 frequently asked questions that you would get from somebody that has a, an unaided interest in aviation and doesn't know where to get started or wants to answer some of those questions. And so that was the goal with that. And I think we, we accomplished it really well. The Minnesota Aviation Hall of Fame thought we'd it really well, and so then we go and talk to schools. We've got curriculum that we've uh, based on, and uh, we've got an online course that we work with the AEA to help teachers learn about aviation and incorporating it as a STEM learning platform in their schools, and so as an aviation better, I go to uh, um, Ambassador Uh, I go to aviation events and, uh, you know, kids love to sit in airplanes or or play with simulators and talk about airplanes. And, uh, you know, I sell t-shirts and little wooden planes and it's a lot of fun.
0: That's, that's awesome. It sounds like you, uh, you represent the profession very well. So thank you for, for all that you do. I mean, getting, getting young people into aviation is, is, sometimes harder than you'd think it would be. I mean, we all think it's pretty cool, but uh, um, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of a nudge to get, uh, to get them involved. So um, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, that you've made a a big difference in, in a lot of kids' lives. So that's, that's really cool. Um,
1: Um, Thanks.
0: Yeah. So uh, basically as we wind this down uh, for the listeners out there, don't forget that uh, we do have the discount for NAFI membership pod 49, please, subscribe tell your friends sign up for naffy at naffynet.org um and uh on to the next